a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and today we're going to be talking about back to school and stress and how we can make plans to lower that stress, what we need to know. And we're going to one of the experts on stress in our community, Dr. Annie Deming. She's a clinical psychologist with Intermountain's Primary Children's Center for Counseling at Primary Children's Hospital. Dr. Deming, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Back to school stress. It's a real thing even outside of a quarantine or a pandemic related to COVID-19. So talk to us about all these constant changes and the plans that might be different 30 days from now, how that's affecting families and what we can do about it to try to manage it to the best of our ability. Yeah, so what we're seeing at the hospital and, and in different appointments are just families having so many questions about what to do and so much uncertainty. I think with all the changing guidance we're getting all of the time and then all of the information being not super um you know, reliable all of the time, parents are just feeling really lost and they want to do what's best for the ki- their kids, but it's really difficult to know what that is. Well, and even as you say that, I see, especially on social media, people saying, we don't know who to believe. We don't know who to trust. And I did have a conversation that said, you know, what's interesting is that we give our peers, uh, you know, their word of mouth so much more uh, credibility than we should. It's just kind of instinctual, right? My friend said this when yes. <laughs> this when COVID-19 is something that specifically our experts, epidemiologists, have more knowledge of, right, than our peers. Right. And that puts us in a weird yeah. position, doesn't it? It does, because, you know, we are much more apt to trust the people who we interact with on a daily basis. And, you know, we see our neighbors and our peers and our friends making decisions for their families. And then we're like, oh, well, maybe we should do that. Um, maybe that's the right thing for our family. Um, so it's just it's impossible to kind of know what to do. But you're right. You know, trusting the epidemiologist, trusting, you know, guidance coming out from the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as your own pediatricians and therapists and, um, you know, sort of your own medical care providers. That's really where we should get the most updated information. Uh, the, the challenge with that, though, is um, even though the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC, they're both coming out and saying that in-person learning is more desirable um, starting the school year, even in light of COVID, that's overall guidance. And it doesn't really take into account the things that are happening in our state right now. And it also doesn't take into account the individual needs of families um, and of your own family. So I think that's what makes this decision so very difficult is because we do have experts kind of saying one thing, but we also have other experts kind of saying another thing. 
Um, and then we really have to figure out, okay, what is going to be best for my family to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, in other words, depending on where the information is coming from, the farther up, I don't want to use the term food change, but farther up the information chain it may be, the more it may apply to a larger group of people and not specifically our own familial situation. So we'll get maybe the more credible, more applicable information from those with information about our own family, our own community, our own county. We just kind of stay as close as possible. Would that be a good a good way to get information that is most relevant to our families? Yes, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, so I, I have three kids myself, and so I've been struggling with you know, this back to school time, you know, just with all of the other families out there. And so I've reached out to the resources I have. So the kids pediatrician. Um, and I also, you know, because I work for the Children's Hospital, I have a lot of friends and colleagues within primary children's. And so I've, I've talked to the experts I know in those areas as well. So I think it's important for families really to access experts in our community who can give guidance about your own family situation. And most typically, that's going to be your pediatrician. All right. So go to that frontline health worker who has knowledge of your family. Because in in different family dynamics, as you mentioned, we might have someone with a chronic illness. We might have a child with a chronic illness. And that would be different than, right, someone who there's no family members who have any health risks whatsoever. Right. You know, I think that's really well said. It's it's very important to make the best decision for your child and family, although sometimes, you know, that's going to be, you know, it has to take into account of all of the family needs. So, you know, most parents or most households are two parent earner households um, and, you know, the option of staying home to do online school with some of your kids may not be an option, you know, may just not work for your family. And so, you know, I think you just have to weigh all of that because earning money for your family and providing for your family is also part of what you have to do as a parent. Um, So just kind of looking at this from a, a system perspective, you know, just what's going to be best for the entire family with guidance from those experts locally, I think is how we can make the best decision. Mm-hmm. What about this ever seeing or ever changing sea of, of COVID-19? Um, I had a conversation with uh, my neighbors about this who, who said they were so frustrated because, you know, they want it to end. And I said, you know, this is the first time our generation has lived in a time of real uncertainty and that there hasn't been um, a ready solution or ready change. And, and so we don't know how. We've not done this before. It's like sailing in a boat we've never sailed before. And so how, do, how does one person, or as, as a clinical psychologist, what recommendations do you make for those of us? Because we're all in boats <laughs> on this <Right. laughs> sea and it is changing. And, and I think that's makes people feel like um, even more anxious. Well, you know, I, the information is changing every four weeks. So how do we best mentally, psychologically, emotionally adapt to a time period that is full of so much change? Right. Well, it, the answer is is somewhat simple to say, but very hard to implement. So the answer is really to get to that point where you can be um, able to kind of roll with the punches and roll with the changes and really get to a point of just accepting that that's where our world is. That's where our community is. That's where our families are. And if we can we we call this, uh, we call the skill radical acceptance. If we can accept it and just kind of say, 
okay, yes, this is what's going on. I don't like it. I wish it were different. And at the same time, I know I need to cope with it. If parents can get to that position and just understand that you need to expect the changes, you need to anticipate them and be able to be flexible with them, that will be a great model for our kids. Now, even though that's sort of simple to say, it's very hard to implement Mm -hmm. because parents are, you know, coping with their own workplaces or their own communities and neighborhoods just, just acting very differently. Um, And that's stressful. And then we're having to help our kids try to adapt to all of these changes and all the new information and guidance that comes out really on a daily basis. Um, But if we can kind of present with that almost attitude of, yeah, we know that this is what we're doing right now, but it's going to likely change within the next few days or in the next couple of weeks or, you know, whatever that time period might be, and just kind of approach it with an attitude of we can figure it out together. You know, whatever the adjustment needs to be, we can make that together. If we're really that kind of strong, um, strong person for our kids, they will be able to adapt better to the changes as well. All right. But now it starts with acknowledging that this is a changing time and that that we as parents expect that there will be more changes and that we will help our children as we all make those changes, but that that we're expecting things to be fluid uh, for a period of time. And then trying to communicate confidence uh, to our children that we can successfully navigate this together. Nobody's going to have to go through these new uncharted waters alone that we can efficiently do that. It is a, it is a time because uh, I think when we were little, we thought that when we grew up, we'd all be masters of our own universes and masters of our mm-hmm. own emotions and anxieties and all of that. But the truth is that um, the anxiety of this period of time is affecting adults uh, as, as right, right? And, and differently than children because we, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe children have faced more recent anxieties than, than adults have about things constantly changing. Okay, so be prepared. Talk about um, ways Ways that we can be more flexible as a family, preparing for the things that will change, trying to evoke calm and confidence, even if inside an adult might be feeling some turmoil, try to communicate that to help the children navigate more um, uh, more securely these changing waters. Right. What about um, looking at the glass half full? As a clinical psychologist, is that a strategy uh, to help us navigate COVID-19 and the quarantine? Yeah, it absolutely is. And one of the things that we do in our family is just talk daily about what we're grateful for. So that gratitude and that understanding that, okay, even though things are really difficult, we still have each other or we still have you know, a a nice backyard to play in or whatever that you and your family feel really grateful for, just kind of reminding each other that that's there is is very important. So it's a great strategy. And then also expressing that gratitude to other people can help us as well. You know, if it's the neighbor who pulls in your garbage cans from the street or, you know, the pediatrician who answered your questions, you know, if we express our appreciation to other people, that can kind of give us an extra boost. And so all of those things are really important. You know, they sound a bit sometimes like, well, what can that actually do for us? But if you can improve your own sort of emotional health and well-being, like that feeling of well-being, that will generally help you be a better problem solver and someone who's able to kind of navigate difficult waters. And even though we may feel a little tongue-in-cheek towards the the Pollyanna approach, the idea that, you know, let's focus on the positive, there is research that shows that documenting and acknowledging the things that you're grateful for does have a clinical effect on us feeling better. I mean, it really is, you know, it's, it's like sunscreen. It works. 
most of the time. Yep, it works. If you apply it. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> apply, apply it regularly, uh, that gratitude. For those who've just joined us, this is Dr. Annie Deming, uh, clinical psychologist at Primary Children's Hospital and in specific at the Children's Center, Primary Children's Center for Counseling. Um, Annie, do you work primarily uh, counseling children or counseling families, all of the above? All of the above, yeah. work with uh, younger kids, teenagers, and then families as a whole. Can I, um, as we approach this, talking about the positive, recognizing the positive, because it will help, and and expressing gratitude to others, um, and and modeling that to our children, teaching them to express gratitude, that that indeed, that expression uh, will help them feel better. What role does acknowledging that mom and dad that this is a challenging time. What role does that play? In other words, that idea of validating that, yeah, this is hard. How much validation or, or time should we be spending, you know, acknowledging this is difficult versus trying to focus on the positive? Is that a question you understand? Go ahead. Yes, definitely. So, you know, I think there has to be a nice balance. Uh, The validation is so essential because if you don't validate kids' experience, then they're confused about their experience and then they, they question themselves and they question their emotions and they're like, well, maybe I'm not understanding what's going on. And then that adds even more stress and anxiety. So it's definitely essential to validate that, um, you know, yeah, this is hard. It's anxiety provoking. Um, You know, I know you might be worried about not seeing your friends as regularly, or you might even be worried about getting sick yourself. I mean, all of those things are are potential risks that all of our kids are facing nowadays. So it's very important to kind of agree that, yeah, you know, these are things that could potentially happen. And at the same time, you really want to switch, not quickly necessarily, but you don't want to dwell on those things, certainly validate and acknowledge their experience and then start talking about, you know, okay, let's talk about what what we can do, what we do have control over. And if you do get sick, you know, this is what can happen. You know, your doctors are good and they're going to take care of you and you know, mom and dad will take care of you. So that you, you switch from that kind of validation and acknowledgement to a different type of validation, which is kind of letting them know that, that they're safe and okay and will be taken care of. And that's very important too. Kids feel additionally secure when they're able to hear those types of messages from their parents. And I appreciate that. It's interesting. I was flashing back to when my kids would have to make the jump from elementary to junior high and what an anxious time or middle school that was leaving the, mm-hmm. the, the, from being one of the older children to being one of the younger, to having to memorize three different locker combinations and, and how we would try to go during the summer months a few times by themselves without a crowd around to familiarize themselves with it. And, and I wonder about that, like if, if we could, you know, practice walking to school with our masks on with our children, you know, those, once the temperatures drop to an, <laughs> a reasonable, uh, you know, but that idea of these are, we, we can adapt because there's a lot of concern about how will it feel? How will my child adapt to the idea of even some of these health precautions like social distancing and wearing masks, right. you know? Right. And all the schools are putting into place a lot of safety measures. And I, as I was reading through the ones for my district in particular, I was just kind of thinking, wow, this is a lot, you know, it's going to be a big change for kids, you know, if they do end up, you know, doing in-person learning. And so, yeah, I think it's, again, approaching those things with an attitude of sort of positivity, like we can handle this. And I feel really confident that, you know, you'll be able to, you know, wear your mask all day and, you know, 
So practicing is great and also modeling good mask wearing, you know, habits um, and approaching it with, hey, this is okay. And this is what we do to protect ourselves and our friends. Um, Those things can all, I think, just help kids feel more comfortable. And then giving them, you know, just kind of a a bit of a preview about what their days will look like. Um, The schools have have all put out by this point, you know, I think pretty detailed plans about what things are going to look like if they are doing in-person learning. And if you haven't gotten that information from your school, you can certainly call and ask those questions so that you can kind of you know, prepare your kids for what to expect. Um, you don't necessarily want to give them too much information at once. So maybe, you know, breaking it up over a few different conversations would be helpful. And yeah, you could practice kind of walking, you know, on the right side of the hallway, which is one of the things some of the schools are doing and, you know, practicing walking six feet behind the person in front of you and, and all of those things. It just will help kids feel a bit more prepared so it doesn't feel like this foreign experience that they're they're walking into. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about that, it is a lot of change. One thing, though, and especially as you've worked with children that you've identified over time is children are quite adaptable. I have found that in general. I mean, I even had a, you know, chronically ill child. It's um, it's it's extraordinary how they can adapt. And, and there's something about being younger that makes it more adventurous <laughs> in some sense. You know, they're, they're not always as resistant to change. Sometimes they are, but they, we might right. not give them the credit that, that they deserve for their ability to to adapt in these situations. No, I think that's true. You know, I, I say to my patients all the time, you know, kids can adapt quickly and they can make changes sort of more effectively often than their parents. And so I usually say that as a way to help teens have a bit more patience with their parents, you know, as they're <laughs> adapting to kind of changing changing circumstances. But I think this could work in the positive direction for kids, you know, during this back to school time. Um, so try to make it you know, fun, but also also understanding the seriousness of the situation, too. We don't necessarily want to um, be in a state of denial about it. You know, it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, this, this is different and this is strange and this will feel weird. And at the same time, you know, we can do some things to make it fun, like a, a cool fabric choice for your mask or, you know, getting really excited about doing back to school shopping, even if you choose to do it online, (laughs) you know, try to make things fun and and have enough of that normalcy to this process. And that will help kids adapt even better than than they might naturally. Um, Well, you said something, Annie, um, and again, for those who've joined us, we're talking to the clinical psychologist, Annie Deming. Dr. Deming is at Primary Children's Hospital working at the Children's Center in counseling. Um, You talked about the importance for parents to feel empowered uh, to, if they don't have the information they need for from the school or the school district, to call and get that information. Let's also talk about that because, to me, as a coping strategy for this back-to-school stress we're experiencing is to feel like, as a parent, you are empowered to be your child's advocate if something isn't working for them as they begin the school process. Talk to us a little bit about that. Right. So I think oftentimes, you know, when we're when we're in a stressful circumstance, we we don't always, you know, feel like we can advocate for ourselves. We kind of feel like, oh, this is terrible and I can't do this and I, I need to protect my kids from this circumstance. And all of that, you know, protecting our kids is certainly important. And at the same time, we do need to work on empowering ourselves as parents to ask 
critical questions and to contact schools or, you know, look online at the district website to just get all that information so we can make the best decisions with the information we have. And then if things aren't working, you know, just bring up a, a conversation about it. I think it's important to not approach that in anger or frustration or, you know, from a complaining standpoint, but just kind of an advocacy standpoint, like, this is not working for my child. And can we please work together to figure out something else that will work? Um, if we approach conversations like that, especially with school personnel, I think really the sky's the limit about what they can do as far as helping each individual family. You know, their schools are, you know, they, they're passionate about educating kids. They're passionate about keeping kids safe. And if we can kind of join with them in those types of conversations in a problem-solving manner, um, we can really, I think, get a lot done. Mm. Um, and at the beginning of the interview, we talked about uh, making sure that the information we have uh, as we navigate back to school and try to lower the stress and its impact on our family and on our children is the first step is to make sure that we get the most credible, applicable information we can. Uh, going to see our pediatrician, talking to him or her about those issues, you know, making sure that the health information um, that we're following is coming and applying to our local community, our local schools, getting that credible information. And then with that, moving forward. And, and trying to help our children understand that changes will continue to come and help them feel confident that you and your family can navigate the changes that are going to continue as we move through this as a community. Um, we also talked about focusing on the positive and expressing gratitude and recognizing the things that are the same and that are good in our life to help balance uh, the stress. What about um, support? What At what point... Would a parent recognize that he or she or a child needs additional support uh, or therapy or counseling because the effects of this pandemic has been very difficult for them? And where would they where would be a good place to find that support? Yeah. So for kids, you know, we really look at changes in their behavior and changes in their mood that last longer than a day or two. Um, so for kids, if they're if they're having high anxiety, oftentimes that comes out as irritability, um, just kind of like, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed type of mood and just every little thing is really getting to them. And that lasts for longer than a few days. Um, also, sleep changes are a sign to look out for, um, especially having trouble falling asleep or, or trouble staying asleep. Those are usually signs of anxiety. Um, some kids express their anxiety in physical ways, so they'll complain a lot about stomach aches or, you know, headaches. Um, are just not feeling good. And certainly it's sometimes hard to kind of determine if that's a physical or more of an emotional sort of driver to those symptoms. Um, But usually parents are pretty in tune, you know, if their kids are experiencing physical symptoms. So um, if it seems like, okay, there's nothing really that would explain a stomach ache or an ongoing headache, um, then anxiety might might be something that's going on. So the first step in that circumstance is really to reach out to the pediatrician and then um, the pediatrician can can offer appropriate referrals. Um, And through Primary Children's Behavioral Health, we actually have a a central um, phone number where parents can call and get information about therapy resources, um, whether it's within the primary children's system or out in the community. Um, And so this is just this kind of single phone number that, that we offer that if parents have questions about their child's mental health, they can call and get connected with the right resources. So it is 801 313 
801-313-7711. I also just want to address your question about parents kind of yes, recognizing their do. own, you know, some of their own challenges or anxiety. Um, so I think, you know, the signs of those are sometimes similar. You know, if you're feeling just low energy, if you're feeling just you can't, you know, relax, you're just struggling, you're, you're just kind of thinking about all of this stress over and over, and you you have a hard time shifting your attention to other things. Um, also, if you're just not as in tune and attentive uh, to your um, kind of responsibilities, whether that's work or home responsibilities, uh, that's certainly another sign where, you know, you may need to to reach out for some help. And starting with your primary care physician is always a good place. And again, they can offer those um, offer those resources. Well, thank you for the information that you've provided us today on how to lower the back-to-school stress and the type of strategies we can put in place to help ourselves as parents and family members and our children better adapt to the ever-changing world that we are in right now. Dr. Annie Deming, clinical psychologist with Intermountain's Primary Children's Center for Counseling. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. You're welcome. It was, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.